and starting a missions organization for the purpose of training people to go and take the gospel um, to unreached, unengaged people groups, people groups who have not heard of Jesus Christ. And that training um, organization starts its first class in July. It's called Radius International. I know you have told you guys about that before. We have brochures on the back table. Uh, but Brad Buser, who's speaking this morning, is one of the guys who helped start that organization. Um, Brad and really Dave Burdett are really the sort of the, the brains behind the organization, really, um, because they're, the, they're our missionary component to it. In other words, um, I'm a pastor. I wanted to see a missions organization started, but um, we, we really had to partner with guys who've been on the ground doing it, and Brad is, is one of those guys. The other reason I brought Brad is we're supporting two of his sons. Uh, we support Brandon Buser, who you, hear, you guys hear me pray for every Sunday, who's also been here to speak, and Brooks Buser, who's been here to speak, you guys hear me pray for every Sunday as well. Both of them are currently engaged in planting churches among people groups who've never heard of Jesus Christ. In fact, the YMBMB, where Brooks has it, now have, and there's many believers, but the BM, they're getting the gospel, I think, about this summer, right, Brad? For the first time. And um, so we, we have the privilege of having a guy up here who's not only gone out himself, but he has two sons out doing the same work right now. Brad is a guy I met in the late 90s. Um, he, when he first came back from the field, he doesn't even remember us meeting that day. Um, but that's when I first met Brad. And um, he had come back from the field after being there about 20 years planting a church in um, Papua New Guinea. And I met him that day and um, was sort of blown away by his story and what he was about. And later, subsequently had um, a growing relationship with him in which he challenged me to think about the need for the world to hear about Jesus. And had me read a book and did some other things that completely reshaped my view of ministry and, and my view of missions and, and even the way the story of, of scripture works. So this guy's had a massive influence in my life and on this church, even though you don't know him, he's one of my heroes of the faith. And um, so I'm, I'm happy to have him here this morning um, to, to, for you guys to hear from him. So Brad, if you want to come up, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, my name is Brad uh, Buser, like uh, <clears throat> Chad said, and it really, it's, uh, it's neat to be here finally. I've heard about you guys, uh, oh gosh, how many years has Sovereign Grace been going for? But uh, following Chad and, and his journey in life, and uh, man, through him, you guys here, uh, he explained how we met up. But uh, yeah, video, we're just going to show you, because uh, you know what, you guys hear so many people talking at you, and I know you've met my sons, and you see guys all the time, and uh, to me, it's helpful to, to understand a little bit of a person's background before they uh, dump scripture on you. I mean, what right do you have to come up here and, and uh, say some of the things you're going to say? So we're going to show you a little video, kind of, it's not, it's kind of hokey. If, if you've seen my kids' videos, like, they're cutting edge and everything. This one's really, really old, and so, excuse me, you know, it's just, hey, we were out there a long time ago. But uh, we arrived in New Guinea in 1979, and uh, to learn the language of the Uteti people within about 12 months of that. And, and the Uteti's, like you'll see in the uh, video here, were a pretty remote-looking uh, group of guys. Now, the, the people uh, that my sons work with, the Yembe Yembe people, big, uh, massive chests, uh, uh, very uh, powerful, very influential in New Guinea. Uh, the BM people are guys that live out on the island, for those who have seen the video there. Uh, very, very remote, but uh, much more developed. The Uteti people that we worked with were really at the bottom of the food chain. They were, they were really a bottom feeders. And and you'll see it in the video, uh, incredibly remote. My wife was the first outside woman they had ever seen. And uh, so we moved in among them in late 1979, began to learn their language, and the video kind of encapsulates the story, and then I'm going to come back up and we're going to get into God's Word. The idea of living in the villages was new to the Itetis. The Itetis by nature were nomadic people. As one will guess, it was a shock for us to initially live among the Itetis. We knew nothing of their language, 
and they knew nothing of ours. As different as they seemed to be, we found that they too didn't enjoy having lice in their hair, spending long amounts of time to pick or squish the lice and nits. Climbing beetle nut trees to pick the nuts themselves is something every boy learns to do. Gathering beetle nut and chewing it is like their version of having a cup of mocha. It's also the preferred way of cleaning up bad breath. The majority of their time was spent just gathering food, planting gardens, hunting pigs, or poisoning fish. These were great times for our kids too. Raising them among the Itetis was something we've never regretted. As my days were occupied with learning to speak their language, Beth would be doing medical work daily, giving shots, antibiotics, worm treatments, eye ointments. This was one way of loving the Itetis that they could understand long before we could present the message of Christ to them. Nevertheless, death is relentless, especially in a climate like theirs. For the Itetis' death was a supreme frustration, the ultimate evidence their manipulation of the spirit world was not adequate. The final reminder that they were subject to a power that was out of their control. Finally, in 1985, after four and a half years of studying their language and culture, we were able to begin teaching them of God's love for them, how He showed that love by sending His Son, the Christ. With no background, this took seven months of teaching, five days a week. Finally, in March of 1986, the first Teddy man in the history of the world came to understand Jesus had come and died for his sins. Okay, well that gives you a little idea of where we, uh, where we lived. And uh, like I said, we moved in there in uh, late 1979, and uh, the work among the Teddies uh, was done in late 1999, and that's when we came back to the USA. And uh, our mission board asked us to do uh, kind of what we're doing now, and so I do a lot of traveling and speaking. But I guess I'd like to uh, uh, kind of back up the truck a little bit. Uh, why does a person do that? Uh, why does a person leave Southern California? Because um, I can remember as a kid, my mom was a my mom was a Christian. She used to drag me out to church and Sunday school. On the worst Sunday of the year was like when they had a missionary come in. And man, it's just like all I could think of like, why in the world did you do that? Did nobody like you? Couldn't you get a real job? You, you pe pe parents beat up on your tons or other kids or you know no friends. You know why do people do stuff like that? Why do they leave a regular life here in Bakersfield, San Diego, go off to Ugabuga Land? Yeah, and, and live where it's really, really hot and dirty, and it is, it's hot and dirty and everything else. Uh, man, I, that's the only question I had when I thought of missionaries. And uh, anyway, um, my dad was in the Navy, and so we got transferred to San Diego, and uh, grew up down to San Diego. And uh, our house is about two and a half miles from the ocean, from the back of our house, you can see the ocean and, you know, stuff like that. And uh, growing up surfing my brains out, just loving the beach. Uh, and had a, a great time. My two older sisters were gone out of the home. Dad was doing his Navy thing. My mom was doing her church thing. And I was surfing my brains out. And everything was going along really, really good. Uh, uh, and from our high school, you could actually see, if the waves were big, you could see lines in the ocean. Okay, if the waves weren't big, you wouldn't see anything out there and uh, so we're going down and what we do for the waves were big uh, man we didn't do any drugs because we want to be able to think really clearly with big waves if the waves are small we do doobies on the way to the ocean and uh, so it's a small day and I, uh, I'm driving light up and hand it to my best friend Adrian and Adrian uh, he looks at me and goes Brad I, I don't do that anymore I became a Christian <laughs> what 
back. <laughs> you know, so I handed it to my two friends in the back. They didn't have any problem with it. And uh, driving down, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say to this guy. Uh, honestly, I was without words. This was my best friend. And I knew there were Christians at school. There were a ton of them. And uh, they're always trying to invite me to do this, do that. And I was, you know, kept my distance. I hung out with my surfing guys and they did their church thing. I didn't know what their life was all about, uh, except they were like my mom, you know, and did Bible stuff and everything like that. Now God dumps a Christian in the front seat of my car in the form of my best friend. And I, man, my world was messed up. And because uh, I was very comfortable going to hell. We were both going to hell at the same speed. And uh, now uh, he's going to have to stop doing all kinds of stuff, which he did. And after a couple of days, he starts witnessing to me. Great. I should have saw that one coming. And then that doesn't work. And so he starts inviting me out to this, uh, this church. It, well, yeah, he didn't actually say church. He says, you got to come listen to this guy. You got to come listen to this guy. This guy it keeps going on about this guy. And he's got me curious, and so I decided, okay, i got to hear this guy. Because to be honest with you, uh, Adrian was a fearless surfer. I mean, he'd take off any, any wave, no matter how big it was, what position, or what the bottom was like, how many guys around. He'd take off on anything. And that this, that, this guy would be so impressed by some guy. So I came out, and uh, make a long story short, I, I listened to the gospel for over six months. And this guy didn't uh, share the gospel every Wednesday night. That's the only time he, he spoke. He was a youth pastor at this church, I found out. And, uh, but when he shared the gospel, because I knew all the other stuff, all the stuff when he was talking to Christians wasn't for me. I knew I was going to hell. I knew enough of the Bible from Sunday school. And this guy made it real, real clear. But how he shared the gospel so kept me out of heaven for six months. And I'm so glad he did because he was not out to make converts out of us guys. He was out to make disciples. And there's a huge difference in how we share the gospel. And I listened for a crack in the door because how he shared it basically went like this. And I'm going to boil down his whole evening message. Basically, it went like this. What Christ did on that cross, there's nothing you can do to add to it. His blood pays for your sin. It's a done deal. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. It's all a gift. You receive it just like it is. But you do need to understand that once you accept that gift, your life is over. You have no future. You have no rights. It's all about him. And he'd open up his Bible and pick, you know, one of how many places does Jesus talk like that. If any man comes after me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross. That wasn't like pulling the three disciples aside and saying, hey, for the other 12 and everybody else, it's not, like, not so hard. But for you three guys, this is what it's going to be. No, no, no. He said that to everybody, to the masses, he would say that. Deny yourself, take up your cross. And those guys understood one thing. We're dead men. To follow this guy, we're dead men. And I'm so grateful for a youth pastor who shared the gospel like that. And I listened and listened and listened. And finally, at the beginning of my senior year, I just gave my life to Christ. I didn't know what it would mean. I knew that uh, it would impact everything. I gave my life to Christ, and guys started saying, Brad, that's so cool, because I was doing surfing contests and all this stuff. So you ought to surf for Jesus. You ought to just do it for Jesus. And I really, really liked that idea. I told him I was all over him. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, except for the stinking, stinking, hateful, evil youth pastor, okay? And this guy here was committed to teaching us the scriptures, and by teaching us the scriptures, he was going to pry our fingers off of our personal plans. We called him the youth pastor from hell behind his back. Nobody really liked him, to be honest with you, okay? Uh, he didn't have a lot of buddies in the youth group. But he taught us the scripture and we so respected him for it. And through what he taught me, I had to let go of my plan. And uh, I'm, I'm going to walk you guys through. Turn back to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start there this morning. And I'm going to walk you through the scriptures that he taught us. You know, there's all kinds of, I've heard of every, just about, I'm going to guess, just about every motivation that people start a career in missions with. But at the end of the day, if Jesus hasn't spoken with crystal clarity, if we don't understand what he has said with real clarity, 
Man, we're crazy to pursue this, but the reality is Jesus did speak. And we're not even going to go into the Old Testament. I appreciate your Advent reading this morning. Man, to see all that precedes Christ's coming is wonderful. To see God's heart for the world in the Old Testament, that's what's so great about perspectives class. Guys, you're going to realize that your God is all about reaching all peoples. This is not, and because I grew up honestly with the idea, because nobody ever talked out of the Old Testament with this stuff. It's like, well, you know, in the Old Testament, God loved Israel. In the New Testament, God loves the world. You know, Jesus loves everybody. Okay. And that's kind of what I thought, you know, but the reality is that's not the case. But we're not going to take time this morning to go back into all the Old Testament. But we're going to start here. And I want to read this here in Matthew chapter 26 to start with, because <clears throat> this gives us an idea of what's going to come later on. This is the night before he was crucified. He's actually there in the Mount of Olives. Chapter 26, verse 32. Jesus predicts something that's going to happen. It says here, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Turn over now to Matthew chapter 28. The very beginning there. After Christ has risen from the grave, we'll start in verse 5. Then the angel, Matthew 28, verse 5. Then the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. He was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. Remember, they were down in Jerusalem and Judea, and, and he's foretelling a, a meeting with them in Galilee. And so the ladies take off, and along the way, as they took off, it says in verse 10, then Jesus, Jesus himself now comes to them, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Folks, what's going to happen in Galilee is the most foretold meeting up in Scripture. This is not a random, oh, they, he just happened to bump into those guys in Galilee. Jesus is obviously very clearly giving something or foretelling something of great import that's going to happen in Galilee. So now we go to Galilee, chapter 28 again, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. <laughs> I, love the, I love that Matthew put that in there. Some doubted. I mean, here he is. I mean, he's foretold this meeting. He's, sitting, he's standing there with the holes in his, right there in his hands on his side. I mean, he is Jesus. Same facial features. But some still doubted. Guys, as I've been talking about missions for about 11 years now, since we came back from New Guinea, uh, I have heard just about every excuse. And I've heard, that, well, if, if I knew with clarity, if, if Jesus would call me, if I actually had that, that sky-opening experience where people get the call. Well, first off, most people on the mission field never, 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 never got a call. They read what Jesus said. They had a parent. They had a pastor. They had a friend. Somebody got in their life, explained God's heart for the world. They said, okay, I'll do it. If that's what my God is all about, if that's what Jesus is saying with crystal clarity, I'll do it. But there's a lot, there still are some that would say, well, if I only had a call, if I only knew, but the reality is even the call hasn't been that effective. I mean, you look back there in Jonah's time. Hey, God says, Jonah, hey, go over here to Nineveh and I want you to preach over there. What's he do? Goes to Tarshish. And he didn't doubt the call. He didn't doubt the, the God's crystal clear command to him. Man, we're, we are men and women of flesh. Let's not kid ourselves. Even if we knew, we would still be afflicted by our fearful flesh. Man, my, the amount of times I was afraid in this whole journey. Uh, man, we are men and women of weak, fearful flesh. So having clarity doesn't necessarily answer the whole equation here. We're still fearful people. Some doubted it was Jesus. Well, I don't want to camp there too long. And then we get into verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Folks, I had the privilege of translating the scriptures into the Italian language. This is the most powerful preamble in scripture. This is God in flesh standing among them. 
risen from the grave. This isn't a prophetic voice from heaven. Even when God says, this is my son and whom, you know, who I love, whom I'm well pleased. This is more powerful than that. I am God in flesh standing with you. I'm the Alpha, the Omega. All authority in heaven and on earth. Two realms that had crystal clear demarcations. They understood, I'm the God of everything. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Powerful, powerful stuff. So listen well. And because that's the case, because I command you, I own you, I am the God who created you, I'm that one, Jesus is saying. Because of that, therefore, on that basis, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And the word nations there is not talking about go to Germany, go to New Guinea, go to China, go to Bolivia, go to Uzbekistan. That's not the word nation there. The word nation there, Jesus is very clear. And they had no misunderstanding regarding that. The word nation there is speaking of ethnically, linguistically differentiated peoples. Ethnicities is the, the boiled down version. Go to all ethnicities that from every language we see in Revelation chapter 5, every language, God is addicted to the idea of the diversity of all peoples worshiping his name. And Jesus is not inaugurating this. He's just giving it a New Testament version because in the Old Testament, God's plan had been that the nations will come to Israel. Israel would stay in the land, stay in the land, stay in the land and obey the commandments of Jehovah God, reread Deuteronomy in the last few chapters there. If you stay in the land, if you stay in the land, I'll bless your wives, I'll bless your donkeys, I'll bless your cows, I'll bless everything you got. I'll bless your fields, I'll bless your barns, I'll bless it all. I'll multiply it all. And I want to show off to you, through you, to all the nations who I am. Now God is turning the tables and says, no, my followers, my people are not going to be people of the land. We don't have the right to have roots. We're sojourners, we're pilgrims. That was, that was pretty easy for me. I was raised in a Navy family. For my wonderful wifey, this is a little harder. Uh, she was born and raised in Michigan. Generation after generation after generation. All right there on the same land. Roots all the way through the planet to China. I swear she's got Chinese blood in her. Okay? Uh, she, and every Sunday at 11 o'clock, that's when her church started uh, services, at 11 o'clock, tears going down. For the first year we were there, homesick, homesick, homesick. Jesus understood very well the implications of what he was saying. He said, you don't have the right. Your home is now there. You're not people of Israel. You're not people of Bakersfield. You're not people of the land. You're not Americans. That is not your primary identity. You're people of heaven. I bought you. I own you. I redeemed you for my purposes. This was shocking stuff. He is turning about 1,800 years of known history on its head. Stay in the land. Stay in the land. Stay in the land. No prophet, no priest, no rabbi had ever said this. This is unprecedented stuff. Who's the guy up here that was doing the guitar? Randy? Randy. Be like Randy standing up here next Sunday morning and saying, guys, we're going to do something different here at Sovereign Grace, wintertime or not. We're going to do it. We're going to worship God naked. So everybody stand up and get in your birthday costumes because we're going to worship God naked. And you know what you did? What did Randy do last night? And that's exactly the response of the disciples. They had the same response. Like, yeah, go, to the, go to the nations, leave Israel. Yeah, whatever. They did nothing. You might say they had an excuse. This is the first time. What are we planning? Individually. And I know what some of what your church is doing. I want to commend you. But individually, as a family, 
What are we raising our kids to do? What are we saving for? What, de- what defines our lives? Are we, as a family, all about this? And I know it's not for every person in Bakersfield or San Diego to be overseas. Some of you have AIDS, age issues. Some of you have health issues. Some of you have mortgage issues. Some of you, uh, man, are, are, you are locked down. I understand that speaks to many. But there are a lot of you, you could do this, and some of you that should be doing this, this is, Jesus isn't just kidding around here. He's not, he's not throwing out an idea for them to fondle and, and, and to entertain. I, I want you to consider doing this. Uh, I've taught at the Master's College for quite a few years. And uh, it's, all, it's got to be very interesting. As a, yeah, That's the missions prof there. That's the missions guy there. And students would come up to me at certain points in the year. And they'd say things like, uh, hey, Mr. Buser, I just want you to know I'm really open to missions. I want you to know I'm really considering missions. I'm really looking into missions. It's like they were going to get some merit badge or chevron on their sleeve or something. I don't know what they were thinking. But they had all these noble statements. Oh, they sounded so noble. And after a while, the worm kind of turned. And I'm just like, what are you doing? And I didn't say this, but it'd be kind of like talking to my wife and saying, hey, honey, I just want you to know I'm really open to being faithful to you. Hey, you know what? I'm really praying about being faithful to you. I'm really considering being faithful to you. I don't know about your wife, but my wife would castrate me in a nanosecond where I had to pull some stunt like that because the gap between obedience to the concept. Jesus isn't saying, I want you to entertain the idea. I really want you to, to think this over, mull this over. See if it works for you, Peter. He's saying, go. And the whole thing, the whole thing is in the command tense. Make disciples of all nations. Right now, today, as we're worshiping, singing, praying, in God's word here this morning, over 2,100 languages on this planet without one follower of Jesus Christ. 2,000. And they, these are in hard, 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 hard places. The easy ones have been reached. And it's going to take learning at least two languages. One language to get you into the country so you can function for us. It was Melanesian. And that's the first language we had to learn. Then we had to learn the insider language, the language of the Iteri people. And for those, your sons and daughters, your frontline people that you're going to send out, your best, your next generation, they're going to learn at least two languages. And that's how we will accomplish. And it will be done. It will be done. Our God's purposes will not be thwarted. And for those who will step forward and say, I want to be at the front of the line. I want to do this. I want to be right dead center. Jesus said to do this. And guys, it's interesting. You know, he had one-off conversations with guys after he rose from the grave. But every single time he speaks to them corporately together, he had one thing on his mind. Now leave Israel and you go to them. You go to them. Turn over to Mark chapter 16. Let's see the same thing over there. Mark chapter 16. Folks, the reason we're going to walk through these scriptures is if Jesus, if Jesus has not spoken with clarity regarding this, have a great afternoon and a great evening and a great Advent season and a great life and do what you want to do. Because it's all just doctrine in here and we can stir it around and, and do what we want to do so long as we bow our knee to Jesus. I choose this career and I choose to move here and work there and have this many kids. Do what you want to do. But if in fact our Savior, the God who rose from the grave, paid for our sin, if he, if he has spoken with clarity with what he has left us behind to accomplish, then we rearrange everything 
so we can be the most effective people individually. Don't hide behind your church. Don't be on the coattails. You're not going to be standing here with the elders of sovereign grace when you stand before the Lord Jesus. As a son of God, redeemed, bought by his blood, you will stand there by yourself. I'm not sure what age. I hear a lot of even junior hires. Well, you know, that I don't have to think, sir. Yeah, you can't hide behind your mom and dad. You've got ears. You make moral choices. You make serious decisions. Well, you know, my husband wanted to move there. Well, yeah, you're going to go with your husband. But did you speak? Do you know the word? You're going to stand before the God of eternity individually. So if Jesus has spoken, we need to take heed. Mark chapter 16. This is Mark's version of what Jesus said. Mark 16, verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And that whole thing is in the command tense, if it's helpful. Now let's turn over to Luke chapter 24. We will see it again there. You know, I, I, uh, I was walking through these passages in Mexico one time in the lady, and, and it's, I just want to preclude what maybe a couple might be thinking. Hey, I've read that stuff before. I've, uh, I've heard those verses before. I, I remember being so clearly in Mexico, and this lady came up to me, and she was, she was unhappy about a few things. But uh, I, heard you, I heard you preach that message before. Well, man, I'm not like Johnny Carson or Jay Leno or David Letterman with writers out there spitting out new scripture all the time. I got a new way to come at it. We're stuck with this. But until we've done it, we better keep reading it. Jesus didn't give us a lot of directions, a lot of things he wanted to accomplish. He didn't give us a ton. He didn't give us a long list. There was one thing on that list. As your godly husbands, as your godly children, as your godly parents, as your godly employer or employee, as, 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 it works toward this. This is what it's about. Do not lose focus. Luke chapter 24. Jesus is now in a room with them in Jerusalem. We don't know the exact location, but somewhere in Jerusalem he is going to appear to them. And it says in verse 45 of Luke 24, verse 45, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus opens the minds of his disciples so that in some extra sense, I don't know exactly what that means, but so that they had a better, clearer, more pointed insightful understanding of the scriptures. Wouldn't you love that? Man, for one Sunday, I've gotten to hear Chad a couple times, you know, and then he's a good Bible teacher, but for one Sunday for Jesus to be here in the pulpit, open our minds so we could really get to the core of it. So when Jesus has the platform and he's going to lead them in a study of the scriptures, what does Jesus focus on? Just think of all the topics in the Old Testament that he could have focused on. What does he focus on? Two things. Number one thing in verse 46, he told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. The number one theme of this book, not missions, the gospel. The gospel. God looked down from heaven, he saw our need, and he'd go, dude, bummer, they're all going to hell. Wow, that really sucks. Think I'll shed a tear. Think I'll send him a tract. Think I'll sing a song. He sent his son. That's the gospel. God sent his son, his son died, his son paid for our sins, and we have life. The gospel, number one message, Genesis to the very end of Revelation. Of course, Jesus didn't have access to that, to read to them. But from Genesis to Malachi, that's the preeminent theme of this book, God's love for us that caused him to send his son. He led the way. Number two theme that Jesus focuses on. Verse 47, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. 
The cross of Jesus Christ, the commission of Jesus Christ. Those are the two overriding themes. Those are the focuses. When Jesus gets to speak, those are the things he focused on. He didn't focus on the family. He didn't focus on finances. And I'm not, right about now, whoa, didn't focus on what? I, I got four kids. They all love the Lord. I, I love being a dad. love being a granddad now. I love that whole thing. But that's not what I'm all about. That does not define me as a son of God, that I'm a father. No, no, no. He has way more for me than that. My wife and I, we were at a, uh, this is 1995, we are on one of our furloughs. And uh, in San Diego, they were going to honor a man that many of you have heard of, and he's done a wonderful, had a huge contribution to the church of Jesus Christ, overall, worldwide, a well-known guy. And uh, we were there, and I had to wear a tie, and she, nice dress and all this stuff. And, you know, we're down there with the masses eating cold chicken, you know, and he's up here on the front, you know, eating his cold chicken, I guess. And uh, everybody stood over these guys up there. Uh, they made these really nice uh, remarks about him and then uh, gave him this award, and he stood up and made about 15 minutes uh, worth of talk. And if you, if you stand up here for 15 minutes, you're going to say something you regret. So I, just, I sure don't hold this against him. But he said this. In the course of his remarks, he, he said this. He said, make it your highest goal in life to raise Christian kids for the Lord. Everybody stood up and clapping. So, of course, I'm going to stand. I'm clapping. I'm just like, really? Really? I, I, I didn't know. I, I, I'm not the quickest guy. And that, anyway, we got done with the, the, the banquet and drove home. And as we were driving home on the freeway, it hit me. Wouldn't that be kind of like saying... Make it your highest goal in life not to rob banks. And you make it your highest goal not to blow up the Capitol building. As a follower of Jesus, make it your highest goal in life not to sell cocaine. Isn't, that, isn't, that, isn't raising our kids to love and serve the Lord Jesus? Isn't that Christianity 101? That's our highest goal. And after that, we just sip it. Wow, did that. None of them are in jail, they're all well educated. They can all hold down a job. Cool. Everything after that is just gravy. Really? Is that how low we've dropped the barn again? I'm not going to say that defines him. I hopefully he thought that he thought better, <laughs> better thoughts than that later on. But we seem to be living that. We put the bar in. My highest goal is this: to be a godly husband, to be here in church, keep my kids off drugs. Wow. We don't have the right to lay out our highest goal. Our highest goal was given to us by another. My dad, when he heard the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor, he went down the next day and he joined up with the U.S. Navy. That's what got him to do that. He didn't have options. His highest goal was given to him by the one that he signed on with. He took the oath. And your highest goal is exactly what they tell you it is. And our highest goal, the highest goal for your life was given to you by the one who bought you. And he did it with real clarity and he didn't ask. He said, now, as a follower of me, as someone who claims allegiance with me, this is now your highest goal in life. Now, we can claim ignorance. We can just go around like, hey, I'm just here on Sunday, man. Don't get heavy with me. I remember one guy coming up to me. I was also in Mexico talking. He says, man, you're really passionate about missions. I'm really passionate about worship. And I'd heard that enough times where I'd had it. I said, well, who do you worship? This one that we worship, this one that we read of, the one that we're adventing, you know, and, and, and just so in love with and so overwhelmed with gratitude for, hopefully, he did speak about what he left us behind to do. Revel in the cross, fulfill the commission. All nations, all nations, all nations. Again, how does he say it here? Verse 47. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, ethnicities, beginning at Jerusalem. And it did begin at Jerusalem, but it has not reached all nations. At least 
bare minimum, 2,100 nations on this planet, peoples that have never heard, and I'm not talking individuals. Turn, if you would, now over to Acts chapter 1. We'll see it again here. Again, for, forgive me for the deliberateness of this, but if Jesus has not spoken, have a great life. But if he spoke with clarity, then you and I have to live with clarity. We make decisions on where we move, what we purchase, what goals we lay out consciously and unconsciously for our children. And let me tell you guys, um, like I said, I've, I've taught thousands of Christian college students. And um, man, we ought to be in sackcloth and ashes. And I'm talking at Christian colleges at where we've dropped the bar. Are we raising up soldiers for the Lord Jesus, prepared mentally, physically, every way to sacrifice their lives for their king? Or have we dropped the bar down to where what we really want is well-rounded Christian young people? Did you know what that is? That's just code for lukewarm. Another generation that won't be too much of a challenge to me. Well-rounded Christian young people, they're like shark's teeth. They just keep on coming. Keep on coming. Break one out, another one steps forward. They're not going to make any waves. We don't need more well-rounded Christian young people filling up Christian colleges, Christian universities, or other universities. We raise our sons and daughters to be expendable for our king. They are a temporary trust given to us moms and dads, and we model that as parents, and we validate that. I remember being at Hume Lake. Some of you guys might have known or know of a place called Hume Lake. It's up the road here just a little bit. I remember I was a missions uh, speaker there for a couple summers. That's where Chad and I first met. And uh, I'd talk on a Tuesday morning, and uh, later that day I would have a, a get-together with students that wanted to pursue missions. And typically there'd be 50 to 70 students of the whole Ponderosa group at that time that wanted to pursue this. Do you know the number one question? And these were mostly from Christian kids who came up in good Christian homes. The number one question on their mind how do I break this to my mom and dad? How do I break it to my mom and dad? Because their moms and dads had not raised them with this in mind. This was not something that was going to be uh, warming to the heart. And I understand that to a degree. I, I, I validate that and affirm that to a degree. Come on, none of us want to see our kids in harm's way. That's not natural to a parent to long for them to be in a dangerous situation. And it is dangerous. These 2,100 places that still have no gospel, there's a reason they have no gospel. They're hard to get to. They're dangerous to live in. These are hard, hard places. And yet we must be men and women of courage. We raise our sons and daughters and we validate this. We exalt this. Because this is what our Savior has left us behind to accomplish as his people corporately and individually within families. I wish we could do away with well-rounded Christians. That that would just symbolize lukewarm. When somebody said well-rounded, we as Christians, we would understand that and see that's just lukewarm. There's a few things I'd like to wipe out from our vocabulary. I'd like to wipe that one out, the well-rounded. I'd like to wipe out retirement to where that would be synonymous with adultery. Retire? He retired. Can you believe it? He retired. He's actually taken 15 years at the end of his life to just cruise Europe or what. And I know there's different ways that people retire. Some move from one stage of life to another. And so you know what I mean. But this entitlement that Christians have bought into, that's, I, I, I've worked so hard, I've earned this. Are we serious? Does the world have that much of a hold on our values? Acts chapter 1. Let's see what Jesus said here. Acts chapter 1. This is not Matthew, where they met in Galilee. This is not 
Luke, where they were in a room in Jerusalem. This is a third location. Jesus is Johnny One Note. Oh, please, I'm so tired of this. Jesus, would you find a new topic? Yeah. Oh, come on, get off of that. Well, he's not getting off of it. Acts chapter 1. Now they're very clearly on the Mount of Olives, okay, right outside of Jerusalem, okay? It says this in verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And that was a very valid question. Man, their understanding of the scriptures was such that they felt, rightly so, following the coming of the Messiah, that Israel at some point, hopefully right now, is going to be restored to national greatness. That's how they read the scripture. And so their question was valid. There was nothing evil or sinful about their question. And that's kind of the case within the church today. There's nothing sinful about what we're doing. There's nothing evil about what we're doing. In fact, we're probably the most busy people in the history of the church. We're busy but are we on target? They wanted to have a Bible study on end times. They wanted to study eschatology. You know what Jesus says? Nope, not going there. I will not be distracted. I've only got one more thing I get to have circling around in your heads. One more chance at your eardrums that will hopefully make it into your minds and hearts. I've only got one more chance to speak to you. And so I'm not talking about eschatology. I'm not talking about parenting. I'm not talking about employer-employee relations. I'm not talking about tons of valid topics. I've only got one thing. Guys, I guarantee you, if Jesus does get to show up at your church some Sunday, it's Mission Sunday again. No matter what's in the bulletin, no matter what was planned, if he gets to have this pulpit someday, look what he said. In response to their question, their desire, he says this, verse 7. He says, guys, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. What you're asking is not essential information. You'll get more information on that. John, you're going to write a ton about this. Peter, you're going to write some on this. The guy's walking around now. His name is Saul. He's going to be called Paul Hill. You'll get that. You'll get that when you need it. But I'm not going there now. I'm not answering that question now. And he did go on and he said this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. His last words, even the unsaved world out there understands and they call it your dying will and testament. Some of you guys have been in the military. <laughs> I feel like I was being raised with my dad. You go on the last orders. You go on the last orders. The last orders supersede everything else. Whatever realm we come at this from, there's no getting around the fact our Savior's heartbeat is for the world, the nations, the nations, the nations. This church here, Sovereign Grace Church, could be responsible for every English and Spanish-speaking person in the state of California coming to know Christ. That's a huge amount of souls that were saved. That would be a wonderful thing. But at the end of the day, our job's not done. Your job's not done. It's not about more English-speaking people. And yes, it is about that in one sense. You know what I'm saying? We don't shut our mouths, you who speak English. You speak Spanish. We, we don't shut our mouths to those who live around us. But at the end of our day, as we are involved with our neighbors and those in the offices with us and in the companies with us, we keep our eyes straight. My dad worked at Pearl Harbor and he repaired ships. You know what? It wasn't about those ships. He did his job every single day repairing ships. But at the end of the day, it was to bring down the Japanese empire. Don't lose sight of what you're about. You're about this. You're about this. That's the goal. Not this thing I'm welding. That's the goal. That's the goal. Go to Johnny's soccer game. But do not forget what your goal is as a family. Johnny's goal, who claims Jesus as Savior. Parents, are we putting this in front of our kids? Are we modeling this? 
Please do not hide behind or ride on the coattails of sovereign grace. I commend you for what you've done as a church. I know there are those that are deeply invested in this. And if you're like my church, there is a big chunk of people that are riding on coattails. And folks, that won't be enough when we see our Savior. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. Jerusalem. And I, you know what? Chad's affected me on this. Because I, 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 I've heard it and I never knew how to really address it. But the, you know, we got to reach our Jerusalem. I remember hearing Chad talk on this. That's bad exegesis. This isn't a metaphor. This isn't a parable. Those are real places. Jerusalem has been reached. My sisters lived in Jerusalem for years. There are churches in Jerusalem. Done. You guys that are Christians living in Jerusalem, keep witnessing. But we can tick that one off. Judea, done. Churches there. And even Samaria, churches there. There's one part of this fourfold command. And let us not be mentally lazy and hide behind the fuzz. It's crystal clear. One part to the very ends of the earth very ends of the earth. This church has had a huge part in raising up a group called Radius International. We're going to train your sons and daughters and you're going to validate this for them to go to the hardest places on this planet. And some of you don't have sons and daughters. You're actually in your 20s and 30s. And especially you men. It's, it's you know what? It's tragic. And I can remember <laughs> the first time I really got to know Chad being up there fast lake with, with kids and some of those guys are now looking at this but the amount of women, Christian women, that will say, hey, sign me up. I'm up for it. If my Savior has spoken with such clarity, how can I do other? That's, a, that's where I was. The stinking youth pastor. Everything, it's total plagiarism. Everything I've taught you this morning, total plagiarism. I didn't, I, I didn't come up with any of it. After hearing this stuff, how could I go on with surfing? And some of you may be feeling the same thing. Man, if my Savior, the one who died, who gave me life, if he has spoken with such clarity... How can I continue to do what I'm doing? I've got to get involved with this. And if you're healthy enough to pull it off on the front lines, we'll tell you. And we will train you and get you ready. But I pray, I do pray for this place, that God would raise up an army from sovereign grace. Man, a lot of your funding has gone into this thing. This radius wouldn't be happening. But we need your sons and daughters, and some of you, we need you to go to one of these 2,100 people groups. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these men and women that are here what they represent, and who they are individually. God, what a, the potential in this room. Lord, with their children, with themselves, with their resources, their talents, God, I pray that you would turn sovereign grace into a nuclear reactor for your purposes, for your goal, for your heartbeat. God, that because of this place, and other churches that would buy deeply into your love for the all nations, God, that in fact, in this generation, we'll see every last people group on this planet with followers of Jesus among them. Use this church, I pray. Lord, I pray for everyone who calls you Lord and Savior in this room, that you give them no rest from your scripture this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.